How many of you guys have like a really messed up garage floor? Like an, yeah, a few people. So, so um, we, we have, have that or had that. And um, last summer, we said, you know what, let's resurface the floor. I don't mean like break up the concrete and put all that together. That's a really, really big job. But just kind of resurface the floor. In the past, I've, I've kind of put some, you know, my own epoxy paint kind of on that. And a couple of years later, it breaks up and the dust comes through again. And so if you would have seen my garage floor, it had cracks and lumps and, and uh, bumps and humps and all kind of weird things all over the place and dust. And so we're like, hey, let's kind of do the real deal here. Let's kind of, let's make this happen for real. So we had a friend that came over uh, who did this and uh, like really professional epoxy. So when he comes over and everything's clean and ready now to put the paint down, uh, he, he takes out these two cans, not one, but two cans. One was white and one was black. And I thought like, what's the deal? Why is there two? Di- I thought you were putting one product down. And so what he told me, he said, well, here's the thing. He says, the, this product is so strong, these two components, that they cannot touch until they hit your floor. So we mix it just before we lay it down because the, the, the adhesiveness, the stickiness to it, the, the, the strength of it gets so strong when they combine together. And I thought that was so cool that here are these two agents kind of right there in these two cans and, all, and by themselves they're definitely powerful and active and can do something. But when they're combined, it's like, watch out, you know, nothing's going to destroy this thing. And so in fact, it was a really cool process and we saw kind of the, these two cans mix and, and the product get laid down and just get super, super hard and strong. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I've never loved the floor more in my life. Uh, and, and here's the side benefit. It kind of, it forced us to clean our garage. And so that was really good. And I'm sure if you're in that situation, you're like, oh, I wish someone would force me to clean my garage. And so that forced me to clean my garage. And our floor was converted. It was like transformed. It was different. So I, I like walking in my garage now. Today, we celebrate two agents, not liquid agents, not uh, components, but two um, real personal agents, actually, God the Son and God the Spirit. The work of the cross on resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. On Easter Sunday, we celebrated the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus solidified for us in the cross the newness uh, that, that comes in, in him and uh, the ability to find freedom in the forgiveness of sins and the power of the resurrection. But 50 days later, as we're going to read today in scripture, we have the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Each of them on their own very powerful moments. Each agent's on their own. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, um, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, very powerful. But together, as they work together, bring about this kind of impact that displays the fullness of God's kingdom in such beautiful ways. I want to read two verses with you. It's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 33. And uh, here's just kind of a, like two summary verses in, in Acts chapter 2 that I think brings this together. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. 
I love that. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. Father, just one more time we ask you, Lord, please speak to us um, through the power of the resurrection and the power of your spirit today. We just say welcome uh, to how you want to um, ignite our hearts and uh, lead us and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's these two moments, like Luke, who's writing this account, brings these two moments together, the resurrected Jesus and the promised Holy Spirit. At resurrection, God defeats death. God defeats death and the long-term effect of sin and forgiveness becomes available for all humanity, for every single person. And I love what Karl Barth said, this older theologian. He said, the reconciliation that took place at the cross was a reconciliation between us and God, between one another, and also even reconciliation among our, in ourselves. Often we need to find reconciliation in ourselves. The power of the cross does that. The power of the resurrection does that. But then... Here in Acts 2, we get the summary moment of the the promised Holy Spirit that's poured out uh, to humanity. At Pentecost, God's Spirit brings this effective change that is available at the cross, but somehow gets worked into our lives through God's very Spirit. So what, what was promised and activated at the cross gets, in a sense, affected or affected like an effective agent in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's this thing that's going on, this, these post-resurrection believers in Acts chapter 2, meaning the believers who have witnessed the resurrection, understood what is partly what has taken place, and now gathering together, these post-resurrection believers were seeing the effect of the resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit right in front of their eyes. Verse 33 says it this way. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. He has poured out what you now see and hear. What did they see and hear? Luke's telling us that as Peter is preaching this sermon, the Apostle Peter is preaching this sermon, the people he's speaking to have just witnessed something. And and he's trying to let them know what you have witnessed has taken place Because the resurrected Jesus has sent his promised Holy Spirit and has brought this about. It's so powerful. Back in in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, in that first chapter of Acts, just before the ascension, Jesus comes and speaks to his disciples one more time. And he promises them. He says, he promises his disciples the Spirit will come on them, empower them, make them witnesses, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's this promise from Jesus. And we just read it before from John chapter 14, right? Jesus said, I'm going to send another. And here he reminds them again, I'm going to send my spirit. God's power will come over you by his spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, we're just going to read the story, these first 11 verses. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost was a Jewish festival, a Jewish celebration, and so that's why we use that word, Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, which happens to be in Central Asia, by the way, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And the the Holy Spirit shows up, and there's these three kind of physical things taking place, wind, fire, and then these early disciples speaking in other languages. It's an amazing thing that takes place. What's, what's, what's happening? I mean, there's so many things, and I encourage you, if you want to get a sense of how we would teach through Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit, last year, around this time, we did a series called that, and it's on our podcast, and I encourage you to just go listen to that as we walk through um, some of that together as a church community. But today, I just want to focus on this, this one idea. I mean, what happens here? The Spirit expands people's hearts and minds. The Spirit expands people's understanding and capacity of what God is up to. We're in this series called Enlarge, and we take this verse from Isaiah that God tells Israel, you know, I want to enlarge your tent. You know, push, put your, your pegs further out because you, you need to be including way more people in what I'm doing in the world. And, and to share with the nations my love and my grace and my purposes. So how does, how does God do that? Well, we see here at Pentecost, he enlarges or expands people's hearts and minds first. And in some ways, what he's doing, which is so incredible, he breaks down human barriers. He breaks down human barriers that sin often erects. We know what this feels like. We know that we've felt a barrier sometimes in a relationship, and we're, and we're, we're hoping, praying that the barrier would be broken so that relationship can flourish. Often when we pray as a team before our gathering, we often like literally just op- like have our palms open and we intercede. We say, Lord, would you break down any obstacles, any barriers that anybody might be having with you today or with one another? We pray that because we know on every, any day given basis, we're, we're human and we're, we fail and we're deprived, we sin. And so there's barriers that we often erect out of our sinful nature. And there's a few here that I think are broken at Pentecost. There's one that's a gender barrier, another one is a racial barrier, and the other one's a social barrier. And so I want to just talk about these three for a moment today and how, how impacting this is because the world like fights over these barriers sometimes. The world struggles. There, there's issues all over the world, both in the West and outside the West. Uh, in first world countries, second and third world countries, these barriers exist. And, and look what happens, what Peter says. As, as, uh, as the Spirit of God comes and uh, his Spirit fills these first believers, they start speaking in these other languages and people start hearing God's message in their tongue. And Peter says this, he quotes a prophet, Joel, verse 17. He, he quotes Joel, one of the prophets from the Old Testament that said, in the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men 
and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Here's Peter trying to like explain what has just happened here. And he reaches back into an Old Testament prophecy that says one day, one day God will pour out his spirit and it'll be on all people. And it will be disregarding of gender that both men and women will, will, will speak prophecy, will, will speak God's word, will understand God's word, will understand God's message, and will speak it out. And so there's a sense of all people have the ability to receive. All people have the ability to spread out the message. And when we think about our world, our broken world often, and especially in certain parts of the world, we see the, the suppression or the oppression, the hindrance of women, sometimes the oppression or even unfortunate abuse of women. But here we get the sense in God's kingdom, men and women both have access to God's message, to God's grace, to God's power, to God's spirit. And on that day of Pentecost, all those 120 people in that upper duplex apartment in Jerusalem, both men and women were filled with God's spirit. And every single person had a tongue of fire on them and spoke in other languages. Something happened there that broke down this barrier. This wasn't some agenda, some modern agenda. This is first century. This is a first century where God's kingdom is breaking in and he's saying, I want all my children to know that they're welcome and that they have capacity with me and in me to be used by me to speak out truth. That's part of what prophecy means. See, the the cross reconciles us to God and it seems like the Holy Spirit makes that effective. And we see that happening on the day of Pentecost. And I think our world needs to hear this. I think our, our, our world needs to hear more of what this is. As we see some genders oppressed in certain cultures, young girls being trafficked in parts of the world. Even here in Montreal, Montreal's a hot spot for this. It's so unfortunate how some women are often silenced from contributing to society. And, and we get a glimpse of Jesus starting this in John chapter 4. Here's Jesus who's on the way to Galilee with his disciples. They stop off in Samaria. They take this route up towards Samaria, I think on purpose, because they could have gone the easier route and they went the harder route. Stop in Samaria. Here's Jesus at a well at noon, meets a woman there, starts to speak to her, and starts to give her insight into God's great plan for her and the world. She's ashamed. She's there at noon because she doesn't want to be seen by other people. She has four or five failed marriages. She would have gone super early in the morning or late at night or in a time when not people would have been. Here's Jesus meeting her at this well and speaking to her and including her into his plans. So a few things. She's a woman with four or five failed marriages. She's a woman in that culture. She's a Samaritan woman in that culture. And here's Jesus crossing this gender barrier, this gender, this gender bridge. To let her know, God loves you. God cares for you. And then what happens? She goes and God uses her to speak this new message that she's heard to her family and friends in that village. Here's here's Jesus just starting what this looks like. Then we see some of this in the early church, how Timothy, one of the elders in Ephesus, first learned about the faith from his mother and grandmother. How Paul learned about faith um, as, as he came to know Jesus from both men and then like a woman teacher like Priscilla. It was amazing to see how just this starts to take place. Uh, some female deacons in the church. And here's the point. The Holy Spirit starts to expand our heart and impact, the heart and impact of the early church by breaking down this barrier. By breaking down this gender barrier. 
And Peter says, look what's happening. God has been talking about this in the prophets. And he breaks that. Here's the second barrier. This, this barrier of race. It, it, in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, right? Like there's these, they start speaking in different languages, in different tongues. And something beautiful happens is they start to speak in multiple languages that the people outside the apartment on the street who are there for that festival from different parts of their known world, not obviously not the whole world, but their known world, were hearing the message of God in their language. If we go back to Genesis, the story of uh, what's known as the story of Babel, where Humanity was kind of gathering to become strong and, and, and really like feel like they're superior. God, God confuses their language and, and makes them all speak different languages so they can't speak together. Here at Pentecost, God doesn't give them one language, but he enables his church to speak many languages so all the nations can hear the gospel. Here there's about 12 nations represented in Acts. It was their known world. And in that moment, something so powerful takes place. They begin to reach the nations. Exactly what God said about Israel's main purpose. Isaiah 49.6, you will be a light to the nations. It's too small of a thing just to think about yourselves. I want you to be a light. You've been, you've been wired and created to be a light for the nations. And notice what God does. This is cool. God doesn't make, God doesn't make everybody speak the same language. You know, we, we kind of see that on weird movies sometimes. It's like everybody gets hypnotized in, in some kind of trance or something. It's like, oh, I understand the message, even though I don't, you know, can't understand the language. That's not what God does. He doesn't say we're going to mix mash you into a whole one language. He, instead, he translates his message into every language. And that's a picture of heaven. That's a picture of God's kingdom where Revelation tells us one day every race, tribe, language, tongue will be together not speaking one language, but be united. And there's something beautiful of what happens here at Pentecost where this race barrier is broken down. God actually treasures your culture, my culture, your language, my language, the language and culture of my neighbor across the street or across the world. So much that he said, here's what I'm going to do. Here's this supernatural moment. We're gonna, I'm going to help you share my message in their language. That's such a beautiful moment. And, you know, God, God still helps us figure that out because we're human and we mess up and we fail and we, the, the, the racial thing isn't perfect in our world and not, unfortunately, not even in the church. But the Peter, who was an apostle, he didn't fully get it and he was there. Like Peter said, you know, everything you see in here, it's, it's because the Spirit's poured out. But later in chapter 10, God has to give Peter a dream and a vision and where he sees a whole bunch of animals that he wouldn't even touched as a Jew. And God says, go and eat. And so he's, he's trying to figure out what God is saying to him. And eventually he's realizing God is telling Peter, this is not just a Jewish thing. This is for the Gentiles. This is for the nations. I love uh, what it says in, in first, in, just in chapter 10. Maybe you can go there. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who had heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. God poured out to other ethnic groups. In, ver- in chapter 11, verse 17, maybe go to the next slide. Um, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? 
Who was I to think that I could create a racial barrier? When they heard this, they had no further objection and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Here's Peter in this moment being challenged, even in his own spiritual journey, about the racial barrier he has. And it's the work of the Spirit. What's the point? The Holy Spirit expanded the heart and impact of the early church by breaking down this racial barrier. Here's this other barrier. It's a social barrier. We quickly see in Acts 2, after the day, after the day of Pentecost, thousands come to know Christ. They're, living, they're now interacting together, worshiping together, uh, getting to know one another. And a lot of people, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, actually says this. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who would in need. In other words, something was taking place inside them that was saying, oh, okay, this spirit of generosity was growing not to only look at themselves, but to look at the needs of those around them. You know, they didn't sell all their possessions because they wouldn't have a house to live in, maybe. But they sold some things and liquidated some things because they saw the needs of others around them. Later in Acts chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 32, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. In other words, they said, God, what you've given, what I have is, is mine. When Tim Keller talks about justice, he often, I've heard him say this. He said, you know, we in North America think like, I've done everything to make my life the way it is. Thanks God for the cherry on top. But he says, no, it's the other way around. Lord, you've done the majority of what my life has become. And I've had some partnership with you. And here, I think there's this shift in their understanding. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. In other words, they acknowledge, God, everything I have is yours. So if you need me to share with some others. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Something was taking place that was growing in them. The spirit was expanding their hearts beyond their own needs. And as the church grows in this, Acts chapter 6 is a really cool example. They're, They're starting to serve widows both Hebrew and Greek widows, and not everyone was being served well. And so the apostles were busy doing their apostle thing, <laughs> preaching and teaching and praying and equipping, and they're like, we got to choose some other people to help these widows. And there, there's, a, there's a little line in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, says, as they looked at both the, the, the Greek and the Hebrew widows, they realized some were, I love this word, overlooked, some were overlooked, and that bothered them. They said, there's some people that are overlooked. So they chose people, and interesting, Luke says, chose people full of the Holy Spirit that would care for them. These widows in that time frame with no social net, no social, uh, you know, net underneath them, health care, unemployment, maybe hadn't worked because in that culture they maybe wouldn't have been uh, the, the breadwinner or maybe, who knows. The point is that the church said, we don't want to overlook them. And people full of the Holy Spirit said, we're going we're gonna, to, we'll help. And so something breaks down this social barrier. A friend of mine, uh, his name is John, and uh, he became a doctor. He went to McGill, graduated, and got his degree, and became a really, really awesome pediatrician. He ended up working for several years in, in the state of Vermont, uh, just, you know, just below Canada. And he was... Um, 
not in rank, but we'd say the States is maybe below Canada in rank, right? No, just joking. Um, but anyways, he, he was working in Vermont, and, uh, and you know, John, as he would, in his just the way he grew up and the way he was wired and, you know, his education and everything, when, when you would talk to him in his, in his earlier days and, and you'd talk to him about poverty or the poor, he'd often have kind of the answer of like, well, you know, people can figure out how to make do and, and um, you know, I'm sure that there's some things we can do to help them, but he didn't have this real sense of understanding their need. And then, then he, he got this role of managing and being the managing director of a, of a pediatric clinic. And week after week, he would see kids come to his clinic and parents come to his clinic. And story after story, he started to recognize something that he never, ever saw before. He started to see that, that some of the kids and some of the families had two, three, four generations of poverty. And, and I remember talking to him one day, and it's like this light bulb went off in his head. Like, like, and I would say almost the Holy Spirit helped him see this. And he said, Dave, I've come to realize that some people, when I talk to them about even the hygiene of their kids, the education of their kids, that they don't know. No one ever taught them. Their parents, their grandparents, their, their, their network, the orbit of people they're in, they don't know. And, and he started to realize, I, he said, I, I needed to approach them differently. And something happened in him, even as that, that point in his spiritual journey, to see the poor differently. He had this conversion of sorts. See, there's a difference between charity and justice, right? Charity is like a person, you know, we want to give something. My neighbor rings the bell and he came by from the Heart and Stroke Foundation and I'm like, okay, yeah, give me the website. I'll give 20 bucks. That's charity. Charity is not a bad thing, but it's helping. But there's a difference between charity and justice. See, the kingdom DNA, God's kingdom DNA is a DNA of justice, of saying, uh, let me recognize the world around me. And something happens, it's, it's awesome. If you read through Isaiah, part of Isaiah, Isaiah 58, um, the prophet Isaiah speaks into Israel's life and talks about this true kind of fast and says, you know, I'm not looking for a fast Israel that is going to, you know, necessarily just about worship or ritual or the temple, but I'm looking for a kind of fast that would, he says, loosen the chains of injustice, that would loosen the chains of injustice and that would feed the hungry, share with one another. And then he says something at the end of verse 8 in chapter 58. Isaiah says, looking at them, and he says, like your own, and he uses this phrase, and it's very challenging, I'm telling you. He, says, he uses the phrase, your own flesh and blood. That's a big difference, right? Because when he uses that phrase, he's, he's telling Israel this is not charity work. This is justice work. When you look at people around you, you realize we are part of the same human family. It's my, my human family. It's my flesh and blood that I want to loosen the chains of injustice for. And I believe Pentecost moved people to stand with the poor, not in contrast with the poor. And that's something that many of us, including myself, need to grow more into, but to understand this barrier that God broke there. The point is the Holy Spirit expanded the heart and impact of the early church by breaking this social barrier, by breaking this barrier. So here's these three barriers. 
Part of God's mission to reach the world. When, when I thought about this, when I reflected on this, when I was thinking about our enlarged series and how, how is God wanting to enlarge our hearts, I was thinking these are three things many people in the world long for, struggle with. Many times there's conflict over this stuff. And, and rather than just jumping on a, a political bandwagon, we can, we can say the Holy Spirit broke into the church and his leading the church to break down these barriers in their own lives and to be a reflection of what God's kingdom is like to the world. That's huge. That's God expanding our hearts, expanding our minds. And I love how Peter articulates it in chapter 2, the first verse we read. He says, you know, Jesus rose from the dead and God's promised Holy Spirit, he sent his spirit, it was poured out and that's what's what you've seen and heard today. What you've seen and heard is a result of Jesus being raised from the dead and him pouring out his Holy Spirit. So Peter tells his first audience after Pentecost, what you see and hear today is the result of God's Spirit being poured out. Part of God's plan. The broken barriers of gender, race, social status, and more. The Holy Spirit was expanding the heart and impact of the church. Now here's a question as we... Wrap it up for a close. Do we see and hear this? Do I see and hear this? I got to ask myself that question. I think someone asked me a couple of weeks ago in our church community, like, how do you really feel about the issues of our world? And I would say, I think I feel, I feel for them. But I, have to, I had to ask, like, where am I on a scale from one to ten? How much growing do I need to do? How much work do I need the Spirit to keep doing in my lives and in my life? And so let me ask the question: Do we see and hear? Like, in a sense, when we when we see, like Acts chapter two, when we see the Spirit breaking down these barriers, do we recognize? Oh, this is the Spirit's work. He wants to do something in me and us. Are we experiencing this in our own hearts? Here's one quote from a guy named Gerard Moore, and he just asks us these questions. He said, in the spirit, we are the presence of Christ to our world. And then he asked some pretty hard questions. Are we willing to learn the social implications of the gospel from the poor, the refugees, the single parents, the lonely, the aged, the sick? Are we willing to take these lessons to the centers of power in our society and culture? Do we seek to be united through Christ's spirit with those who are different from us? Do we prefer to allow stereotypes of gender, race, social status, language, and custom to control how we relate to one another? Those are hard questions. When I think of those questions, I ask myself, is my heart expanded? Is my understanding of what God is doing in the world expanded? And it seems that like when different revivals took place in church history, somehow these three barriers were always affected. The gender, racial, and social barrier were all, somehow God's spirit, just like the prophets in the Old Testament, would, would call the church back and say, why are you letting these barriers be erected again? And the spirit would break them down in the church. In one of the most recent revivals in history, in 1906, what some people call the Pentecostal revival or the Azusa revival, I mean, for sure, some weird stuff came out of that revival, right? And you read some accounts, you're like, I don't know, I don't want to be a part of that. But then there's some beautiful things that took place too. 
And, and, and here's interesting. There was obviously one of the people there was William Seymour. He was a leader. He was a black preacher who, when he first started to hear about the work of the Holy Spirit, would 25 years earlier sat outside the classroom of a guy named Charles Parham who was teaching only white students and William Seymour sat outside the classroom listening in because he wasn't allowed in. Because he was a black guy. And he was sitting listening to the teachings of scripture outside of the room because they were separate. They were segregated. But God did something in Charles Parham's life, the teacher in William Seymour's life, and something started to grow. And over 20 or 25 years, um, you know, the spirit started to work in both those groups. And uh, one, one historian who writes a lot about this whole era says the most striking and unusual feature of Azusa Street meetings was the racial harmony that prevailed under the leadership of William Seymour. And it led one guy to say this. I love this line. The color line was washed away in the blood. From when, and it probably wasn't perfect, but from 25 years earlier when William Seymour had to sit outside the class, there was people of different color listening to him preach the gospel and united. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what what God wants to do in our hearts and our lives. And in some of those moments, the gender and social and racial barriers were broken. And so here's my heart as we, we... we wrap this up today, that's the kind of effective transformation that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The kind of effective transformation that we, that God wants uh, to do in our lives. It's so vital. Pentecost did this. And by God's Spirit, He wants us to keep growing in that. Because what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the resurrection, the Holy Spirit made even more effective as we allow Him to work in us. It's those two agents working together. We don't just need one, we need both. The two agents working together. So as we close today, I want to just invite us to um, just a prayer of reception, a prayer of welcome um, as, we, as we consider wrapping up today. But I can't help but think of, of even this whole initiative we're in with Enlarge. When I think about, like, it's so hard for me to fathom what, like, my son who's 15, what a 15-year-old is doing in a refugee camp on the border of Syria or Turkey or somewhere else. I can't fathom that. I, I, have, I struggle to think about like, what goes on um, when people are displaced from country to country. And I think, I, at the very least, can I like, provide some kind of health relief for somebody? When I think about this church of 30 or 40 people in, in, a, in a region of 1.8 million, I think, is there no way that I can say, yes, different culture, different, maybe different color, maybe different language, but can, can I be a contributor to resource to help that church? So as you're even praying about that today, ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, to work in your life. I'm going to stand, I'm going to ask you to stand as we, as we close in prayer today. And um, maybe you guys can just play something soft in the background and then we'll close with that song after. So I just invite you just to take just a minute and posture your heart um, with a heart of welcome. There's no doubt in my mind that um, when the day of Pentecost happened, a lot of people were probably surprised, right? And say, wow, that is this God at work? 
And so sometimes it creates hesitancy in us to say, Lord, like to say, Lord, I really want, um, I want you to work in me any way you want. But that's a scary statement. Because then we give, you know, Jesus and the Spirit full control and full, full, an open door to our hearts and our lives. And we say, hey, Lord, do with me as you wish. Convict me, challenge me, stretch me. Put your finger on parts of my life that you want to adjust, move, correct, heal. We also say, Lord, as your spirit moves, um, challenge my opinions, challenge my assumptions, my presuppositions. We often can't imagine that it's so much better to allow the full work of the resurrection and the full work of Pentecost to converge in our own hearts and lives. I can bet each and every one of us cannot imagine how much better our spiritual walk, our life, our relationship with the Lord, our perception of the world would be if we just if we allowed that convergence to take place. And so just take a moment, just invite God to be at work in your own heart in that way. Father, we come to you, Lord. We just say welcome. Welcome to your Holy Spirit. Your son, Jesus, that you raised from the dead. Given the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus poured out. God, in some way, help us to get a glimpse of that first Pentecost, that first day, that first season of your spirit being poured out onto your people and then what was known as your church in in just a way that was unprecedented. God, I'm sure they were not ready for the challenge, for the capacity stretching, for the barrier breaking. But we also know that by your grace and by your spirit, you equip us, you empower us to be your people, to be your disciples, to reflect your kingdom in our world. So God, we we just say we want to join you and join the work of your spirit. And whatever barriers you want to break down in our world, so your gospel can flourish, so the world and the nations can hear the beautiful, captivating, life-filling, freeing, forgiving, transformational message of Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and the powerful sending of your spirit. God, we pray that you just continue to grow in our hearts the beauty and power of that message. And Lord, would you open the ears of our world, of our society, of our culture, of our community, our friends, Lord, to hear the gospel. We long for them to hear you and to know you, Lord. And so we just say welcome into our own hearts and lives, and we surrender you to use us as you wish. As we come to the close of this series, enlarge our hearts.
enlarge our understanding of you, enlarge our perception of the world, and may we be your healing agents in the world around us, both locally and globally, God. God, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. And as as many of us, Lord, are just uh, listening to you, to how we can respond this month with the hygiene kits and uh, resourcing the church in Central Asia, God, we just just, uh, surrender to you, Lord. We just welcome however you want to prompt us. And we will trust, Lord, that as you do lead us and speak to us, that that we will respond with courage and with uh, risk, if needed, and with trust. In your precious name we pray, God. Amen.